Welcome to the Bounce Podcast. I am Bob Lapine. I'm the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our church is a part of the Great Commission Collective, and GCC is sponsoring this podcast. This is our podcast to help church planters, church leaders, elders, and pastors, uh, those who are inside GCC, and those of you who are tuning in from outside the Great Commission Collective. We're glad you're joining us as well. The goal of this podcast, the reason we call it The Bounce, is because resiliency is one of the things necessary for us as pastors and elders and church staff members. We have to figure out how to bounce back. And as I mentioned, The Bounce is a production of the Great Commission Collective. GCC is all about planting churches and strengthening leaders. We are a collective of like-minded churches. We partner together to see healthy elder teams get planted and build flourishing, thriving, gospel-centered churches. You can find out more on our website at gccollective.org. Now, since this is the first episode in the Bounce podcast, I think we need to say right up front, we do not intend as we release each episode to be doing a hot take on some contemporary issue. Our goal is to be dealing with the kind of ongoing issues we face in pastoral ministry that are more evergreen. But in God's providence, it just happened that as we were putting this podcast together, the news came out about uh, Matt Chandler, the pastor at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, stepping down from his role, both as the pastor at the Village Church and also as the leader of the Acts 29 network. So it's a great example of what we wanna talk about in this podcast, pastors who face obstacles and challenges and how we respond to those. And so we thought we would start off just by diving straight into that issue and ask ourselves what lessons should we be learning, can we be learning from what Matt and the elders at the Village Church have been living out for us on display in public in the national news. And Dave Harvey, who is the president of the Great Commission Collective, who has been involved in church planting for decades now, he's a pastor and author and a, a leader of this organization, Dave agreed to sit down with me and we wanted to have a candid conversation about what we've observed and what we're learning and what we should take away from the current situation going on with Matt Chandler and the Village Church. Well, we always kind of hold our breath when we see a pastor's name in the national news, New York Times, NBC, ABC. And here's what we know about the situation with Matt Chandler, who's the pastor at the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas. Uh, Matt was confronted by someone in the congregation who came to him and said, I'm aware that you've been having a, a direct message on Instagram relationship with a woman in our congregation. And I'm concerned about what I'm seeing here. And I think it was Matt who then went to the elders and said, here's what's been going on. They looked at the exchanges between Matt and this woman in the congregation, and their conclusion was that while it was not a romantic relationship or there was nothing uh, sexual related to this, uh, the, the interaction was both frequent 
and familiar. Those were the two words they used. And, and I think those are helpful and important words that I want to come back and, and talk with uh, you about here, Dave. Uh, the, the, the elders said, based on this, we think there's been a lack of wisdom. There's, there's danger here. And we think there needs to be a timeout where this can be readdressed and, and calibrated. And we can think through how we got here and how we keep from getting here. And of course, not only has that made national news because Matt was asked to take a leave of absence from the church, also take a leave of absence from his leadership role at the Acts 29 network, uh, but there's there are brush fires breaking out all over Twitter from all kinds of pundits who are speculating right, left, and sideways about this whole issue. And Dave, what we wanted to talk about as we come to this issue is um, really the, the, the role of the elders, how did they respond in this situation? Was, was it appropriate, inappropriate? Um, is there overreaction happening here? And, and what can we learn from what we're seeing to help all of us as pastors maintain the above reproach standard that we're called to in our qualifications as elders? And, and so, first of all, as you've read through this and analyzed it, uh, it, it appears that the elders are responding with an abundance of caution in this situation. Um, some, some have wondered if they're overreacting. What's your take? Are, are they being hyper-cautious or appropriately cautious, do you think? Yeah, Bob, it's probably important to to add that we're having this conversation at a time that it's still early in the story. Uh, and so there, there may be more that comes out of this that requires more discussion or might require us to amend some of what we say, because this is kind of, uh, what do they call it? A hot take. It's in real uh, time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this, this discussion isn't intended to be the final word, but, um, but a, a conversation where we can point out some important lessons maybe for church planters and pastors who, who we carry on our heart. Um, and so, Bob, I, I'm kind of thinking about this in, in two areas. One is the areas that encourage me about this and, and the areas where I feel I need to pray uh, because situations like this in the church can become a flashpoint for so many different cultural issues and sensitivities. I mean, you think about it, Bob, there's, there's celebrity, there's power, there's male-female relationships, there's uh, social media, the, the credibility of the church, trust of leaders. This situation is just like freighted with a lot of, of cargo. And, and so each time one of these kinds of things happen now, it, it triggers fears. It, it, there's, there's fear of abuse. There's fear of uh, cover-ups. There's fear of injustice, uh, fear of congregations lacking discernment with the leaders who are leading them. And, and, and sadly, those fears, it's not like they're unfounded or groundless. Um, there's, there's a lot going on even in recent history that, that makes them understandable. Right. Uh, and, and then I think there's also, and, and we're seeing that even this week, you know, there's all, it also surfaces immaturity in the church. 
Um, you know, a quick scroll through social media just shows you that there's an immediate uh, cynicism. There's there's the whole kind of uh, hermeneutic of suspicion, uh, uncharitable judgments, and gloating, and things that that are not befitting to the believer or to the church. So I, I guess I say all that, Bob, to say there's just a lot that's that's bundled around a leader who is confessing sin or and, and stepping aside for a leave of absence. And and you you mentioned confession of sin. One of the things that's been pointed out is that Matt did not use that language specifically. He talked about a lack of wisdom. He talked about the inappropriateness of what he did. And and I'm looking at it and wondering to myself, okay, frequency and familiarity, is this unwise or is this is this sin? And in diagnosing this, Dave, I sat down with my wife and I said, let me ask you a question. If uh, you were aware that I was having frequent and familiar back and forth social media interactions with a woman in our church, uh, would that be a cause of concern to you? And she said, of course it would be, because I know what could happen there. Not that something has happened, but but you're over toward the edge of the cliff where you're in the danger zone. And, and why would you want to hang around in the danger zone? So from a distance, it's hard for us to say sin was involved or sin was not involved. We're not hearing Matt say there was, was sin. Is this kind of familiarity and uh, frequency issue? Is that something we should classify as sin, do you think? Well, I think that, you know, we'll probably come to understand a little bit more about the course jesting. Yeah, there you go. At, because I think at, you map that on or add that into the, the the communication that was going on, and it might bring a little bit more context and 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 probably drag it over into areas where heart matters were engaged and and uh, and sin potentially taking place. I, I think the things that that I want to look at, Bob, are have to do with how the the elders were dealing with it. Because you know, one of the things that's very close to our heart is this idea of of healthy plurality. Healthy plurality is one of the cultural values of GCC, and. Uh, you know, it's something that we believe is important to the health of the church, and and it was in, it was encouraging to me to see that Matt Chandler appears to have submitted himself to the elders. So you know, when a when a as you described earlier, a friend of the woman raises these questions, it seems like his immediate instinct was to go to at least one. I think it might have even been two of the elders, and to speak to them about it. Um, it was encouraging to me that the man who came up after him, I think, was it Josh Patterson? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, who came up after him in the public meeting said that Matt was wholeheartedly submissive to the elders. I thought, okay, well, uh, hearing that from the elders, that says something to me. Um, and and then also, it it seemed to me like Matt Chandler was not seeing the problem of the frequency and familiarity as really a, a big issue. And it was the elders that spoke into that. It was the elders that reframed that for him. And, and then it seemed like Matt kind of conformed his 
perspective to, or, you know, began to see it with, with more moral freight. And I'm listening to that. I'm thinking, yeah, isn't that the way that it's supposed to work? Um, where, you know, when you, when you are submitted to elders. So I was encouraged by that. I, I think I was also encouraged that, that the elders called for an outside independent review where Matt and, uh, and, and the woman were both involved, both, uh, interviewed, uh, I can appreciate that elders feel responsible to govern the church. When problems come, they, you know, they want to bear the responsibility given to them by God because they are responsible. But I saw, I think sometimes Bob, and we've both seen this, that can make them want to deal with it alone. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, you add into that kind of fear of fear of embarrassment or fear of exposure. And, and yet there are these situations, and this is a, this is an example of one where elders exercising the authority should involve contacting an outside group to have an investigation done. And that actually displays their humility and a good use of authority and, and their desire for, for truth to be heard and, and not to simply control the outcome. So your point, you're pointing out something really important here. And I, I think this is one of those situations where we could pull back and say, well, let's imagine a different scenario. Let's imagine there's not a healthy plurality of elders in place. Let's imagine there's either a rubber stamp board of people who just think the senior pastor is in charge and we're just supposed to run interference for him or be yes men, or there's no elder board at all and the senior pastor is not accountable to anyone. Um, if this situation had emerged without a healthy leadership plurality, uh, we could imagine it going uh, in a lot of different directions that would be a lot worse than what we're seeing happen here, right? Yeah. And I, I think in the frenzy of communication that's taking place, I don't want to miss the opportunity to to point out the reality that there's an eldership <clears throat> that's hard at work here, and it's being there their imprint and their authority and them exercising their responsibility in a, with a degree of integrity is being displayed in a number of different places. And we want to point to that when it's happening, because so often it doesn't happen, particularly when, when, um, leaders, high profile leaders are involved because often part of the package there is that those leaders have people to whom they're submitted that are not part of the local church. They're not elders in the local church. It's oftentimes an assembly of gifted people outside of the church who have gifts just like the guy leading the church. And, um, and so when, when they begin to go sideways, when the leader begins to go sideways, it's really difficult for that, for that kind of setup to have any teeth, to have any actual authority for them to be able to do anything. But but rubber stamp and endorse whatever the leader wants to do from there on. So I think it's important to recognize, yeah, it, it seems like this, this eldership is, is doing what they're supposed to be doing and their, uh, their, their interdependence, their commitment to interdependence is not only within the church, but they're seeing it a, a moment where they need outside help and they're reaching for it as well. One of the things that has emerged in in light of this situation is a conversation about the Billy Graham rule. And for, for, for anybody who doesn't know the Billy Graham rule, it was Dr. Graham's 
uh, lifelong practice that he would not be alone with a woman uh, who was not his wife in any setting, any situation. He would always have somebody else with him. He was just not going to be in a compromising situation, uh, in part for protection and in part for reputation control, so that a woman could never come out with a false accusation and he would be protected from potential temptation. Now, there are women today in the church who have problems with the Billy Graham rule, thinking it's limiting uh, to them in terms of access to a pastor or uh, their viewpoint being recognized or acknowledged. So let, let me just open that question up and say, is it wise for pastors to have Billy Graham-like boundaries around the way they interact with women in their congregation? Well, I think it's important to to remember that Billy Graham was never intending to create a rule that the That's church right. was going to adopt or pastors were going to adopt. I, I think he was um, he was at a, an unprecedented uh, in his exposure and platform, and he wisely decided to create certain parameters that he was going to live within. And I applaud any leader that is seeking to identify the field that God has given them, work with their wife to define wise parameters, communicate to other people what they, what they want to do, and, and in some ways be shaped by the council around them, and then walk in that. So, uh, you know, if that is adopted as a, uh, you know, just as a lever that every leader pulls, I think it can be applied in very clumsy ways and it can result in relationships between men and women being undervalued or women feeling like they're eroticized or sexualized. They're only seen in, in that way. And I think we need to be really careful. But the idea that leaders are, are wrestling with how to uphold their integrity and the, and uphold the integrity of, of women as well. I think is a is a good thing, and we should applaud it when we see it. Yeah, and and to have no boundaries is again, you you may disagree about what the boundaries should be, but to say an absence of boundaries that's just that's unwise to function without any controls or any boundaries around what those relationships should look like. One of the other things that's popping up here is uh, Matt Chandler and the X twenty nine Network, much like. GCC, the Great Commission Collective, uh, holds to the complementarian distinctives in terms of men's and women's roles in the church. And there are some who uh, disagree with that, who are saying, see, this is just another example of how complementarian thinking um, takes pastors in the wrong direction and it's problematic. Do you have any thoughts on uh, on how complementarian inter complementarianism do you have any thoughts on how complementarian distinctives is interacting with what's going on with Matt in this situation well i don't tend to trace this back to complementarian convictions any more than i trace them back to egalitarian convictions um i i trace it back to the human heart <laughs> and uh and how out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so where there is crude joking um, it's an expression of the heart and, and I think it has to be handled on, on that level. So I, I don't believe that my complementarian convictions, um, make me more vulnerable to taking advantage of, of the, the women in my life or women outside who might be 
uh, who might be uh, in, informed or influenced by the ministry that God has has given me. I I would hope that it would it would call me to a, a higher standard of honoring them and of 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 protecting them and of wanting to see them released into their gifts and enjoying the goodness of God in the church and 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 in the field in which God has called them. One of the things that I've been freshly aware of as uh, as all of this has been unfolding is the my own tendency in my heart uh when somebody that I might disagree with theologically or or pragmatically when somebody is publicly stumbling, my own heart wants to move in the direction of uh, jumping on that and scoring some victory points out of that. And I remember hearing Dr. R.C. Sproul years ago say that uh, Christians are required to exercise what he called the judgment of charity, which means that when you hear a story about somebody, you are to ascribe, he said, the highest possible motives in that situation until you have evidence that there's some other reason for what they did. You don't want to be naive. You don't you you want to be as wise as a serpent, but you need to exercise this judgment of charity, this love toward that person that says, I'm going to believe the best about you. And all you have to do is scroll through Twitter right now. And there are a lot of people who are choosing just the opposite. They are choosing to believe the worst about Matt, about the church, about all of this. And I think we have to say, we can fall to that trap as well. Let's be on guard against that. But this is not how we ought to be acting when when somebody stumbles, right? Yeah, I think uh, I said earlier that there's two kind of uh, points of connection in my mind. One of them goes to the areas that are encouraging me. The, the second is the areas where I want to pray. And when I think about that, I think first about that first Timothy 4, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Um, because the, the stumbles of any leader should provoke first self-reflection in all leaders and self-reflection in all, all Christians. Um, I, I see this as just a way of kind of, uh, taking heed to use the words in first Corinthians 10, you know, let, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And, and so I, I, I think that this is an opportunity first for us to look at ourselves, um, that does not mean that we are supposed to check our discernment at the door and not ask any hard questions. Hard questions should be asked. But yeah, Bob, there is a um, there is an instinct, almost a, a trigger mechanism that moves us immediately towards these sinful or uncharitable judgments. I mean that that Matthew seven judge not that you may not be judged for the judgment that you pronounce will be the will, will be the measure by which it kind of comes back to you um i think we want to be speaking about matt chandler and we want to be speaking about the woman we want to be speaking about about the church in the same way we would want others to speak about us when they know very little about our situation and 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 this is not this is not a popular way to think about this because of the how acceptable cynicism is how acceptable it is to just go all you know saturday night live and 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 start mocking and i mean that's really the new cultural bar but but each time we assign motives to people that we don't know 
and, uh, you know, and, and we can't know, or even people we do know, but we don't know their heart. Each time we do that, we, we judge them. So if you're talking to a young pastor today and saying, given what's going on in the Matt Chandler scenario, here are the takeaways for you as a young man in ministry. You're a church planter or you're, you're new in the pastorate. Uh, here are some lessons learned that should help guide you in your own pastoral responsibilities. Are there three or four things you would say these are the big takeaways for all of us? Well, I think the fact that they have a, a plurality that seems to be functioning is, is a very important point. And that does not mean that we might not find out things where they didn't do as well. But the fact that you have a high-profile lead pastor who is submitted to his elders and elders that are exercising a legitimate authority is, uh, is, is something worth celebrating. So I think that's an important lesson. I think the fact that um, that that Chandler was co confessing this crude, crude joking. I mean that that's an that, that there's a passage. There's what is it? Ephesians five about no filthiness or or foolish talk or right. crude joking. Um, that shouldn't be, even be a part of our speech. So you know, I I want to say, hey hey guys, elders, uh, don't cut each other slack on crude joking, on filthy talk. Let's, mm -hmm. let's raise the bar. Let's, let's speak as if Jesus were sitting in our eldership meetings or in our meetings, sitting around in, in the fire because he is right. And, and the stakes that we're playing for are big stakes. You know, the, the end of that first Timothy four passage of watching yourself and your teaching is, is persist in this because by doing so you'll save both yourself and, and your hearers. So the stakes are are pretty high. So I, I want to get them reflecting a bit on the very thing that, that Matt Chandler acknowledged and not make it about Matt Chandler first, but just, okay, where, where might I be falling into the same patterns in my life? And what about the issues of how we shepherd, uh, women in our congregation as pastors? What, what's your recommendation to us as pastors in terms of guardrails and safety there? Well, I, well, first, beginning with what they did, I, I do appreciate the fact that they were uh, affirming the importance of the woman speaking, both the woman that intercepted Matt and then the woman who Matt was, was DMing, um, and that they were acknowledging the challenge, acknowledging the pain, acknowledging the importance of them being, being heard. It wasn't like that was being erased. It wasn't like they were attempting to marginalize or, or stigmatize them. So I, I think that it's important to recognize that, that when things like this happen, when there can be real victims, um, I don't know to what extent, you know, that the depth of that victimization in this situation, but let's recognize that there's unnamed people here that have to be represented. And it seems like the elders want to stand there and say, yes, you know, their interests are our interests. And, and I appreciate that. I, I think that, that f when we broaden out beyond the situation, Bob, and, and I'd be interested in hearing you interact over this as well, but I, I'd say I, I want to begin with talking to my wife and, and talking to the, the elders of my church. And I want to invite them to consider who I am 
um, the field that God has called me to, um, the proclivities and weaknesses that I share, and to help me to define wise boundaries for communication, access, um, you know, who I'm, who I'm texting and, and how I'm doing it. And, and then bringing some ongoing conversation to that so that there isn't just something set up, but never visited, but there's something that, that becomes part of our fellowship along the way. I think those kinds of, of simple steps can be a tremendous help for the long road in front of us. Well, how, how would you answer the question, Bob? Well, it, it brings to mind a story. Um, years ago, I was doing some speaker training for couples in, in, uh, Sydney, Australia. And I had gone over for a 10 day trip there doing training. We were recording some radio programs over there. And there was, uh, a coworker, a young single woman who had come along on the trip who was serving as a recording engineer for these sessions. And we finished up a morning of recording that actually went long. It went into the middle of the afternoon. And by the time we were done, uh, the, the cafeteria at the place we were staying had closed. And so we went down the hill and we were having lunch together, uh, outdoors, uh, at, at a place that overlooked the Pacific ocean, uh, it was a lovely day. Uh, it was a, uh, beautiful setting and we'd ordered our food and I'm sitting looking at the beautiful uh, scenery and, and thinking to myself, something just isn't right that I'm here having lunch uh, in, in this setting with this single woman, not because I, there was anything inappropriate about it. She's a coworker. She's a colleague there. I, I was not having, there was not a lustful you know, as best I know my own heart, there was not a lustful intent there at all, but I thought this is a setting where the person who should be sitting across the table from me should be Marianne, or there ought to be more of us around the table. And I went back and, and I called Marianne and said, I just want you to know what just happened. It happened innocently. There was nothing going on, but I just, I was caught aware of the fact that this is an unguarded situation. And it's, it's that take heed moment where I said, there's nothing, I, I don't think I sinned in any way, but I don't think this was wise for my own heart, for this young woman, uh, for, for anybody who might see the two of us out having lunch together, overlooking the Pacific. And I, I just thought, I'm not going to get dogmatic about, about how this all worked out, but I'm going to be on guard against situations like this cropping up and try to avoid them. Maybe I won't do complete backflips in an unavoidable situation where, okay, we can't share a taxi or, you know, we, we can't be on the same airplane together. I, I, I'm going to look at that and go, that, that seems like it's hypersensitive, but I'm going to have some caution, some boundaries. I'm going to work those out with Marianne and with our elders aware of that, and then try to live by that. And I think every pastor has to wrestle with what's that going to be. So I don't do counseling with women alone. Uh, if I'm in a situation like that where I need to be one-on-one -on -one with a woman, I've been in those situations, it's in a situation where everything's visible. Um, Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Hedges years ago where he talked about his own standards and boundaries. And you don't have to agree with his, but you have to decide what yours are going to be. And before the Lord honor those and, and not, not be catechized by the culture 
in terms of what those relationships should look like, but be catechized by Scripture in terms of what's wisdom in this in this case. Very helpful. Yeah, and speaking of books, um, going back to your question about the the takeaways here, I, I've been thinking about uh, uh, Paul Tripp's book, Dangerous Calling, uh, or even his new book titled Lead. You know, at our recent GCC conference, we we had him teach from his new book on candor and on longevity because we want guys to last in ministry. And and he just dropped, you know, some golden truth into our, our pockets that I, I hope we're, I hope we're applying. But my point being that this is a good opportunity is under that category that you mentioned, Bob, of taking heed for elders to say, okay, so, you know, how can we be, you know, how can we be a little bit more proactive? Well, let's go through a a resource together. Let's go back through dangerous calling, or let's read lead together, and and uh, and let's discuss it. And let's affirm some things that we want to do, and and places that we want to hold each other accountable, so that we can run long together. Critique, which is, Lord, is this you speaking through this person to me? Now, I can sometimes ask that question and relatively quickly say I don't think so, but I need to have the humility to say. It might be. And so hear the rebuke, hear the critique, listen to it. Don't dismiss it easily. Don't, don't get uh, sideways over every critique that comes your way, but, but let's have a, a humility that says, maybe God is trying to speak to you through somebody you look at and think this looks more like Balaam's donkey to me than it does to a prophet. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, we've got to be humble enough to hear those critiques and just say, uh, are you speaking to me, Lord, through this person and evaluate that? Take that to the elders and say, I had this critique come back. Is this a blind spot for me, guys? And and see what they say and and tease that out. I just think that's important for all of us. I think Matt did that in this situation, it would appear. And uh, uh, kudos to him for that rather than just thinking, you don't know what you're talking about. This is not a problem. It just And dismissing it easily. Yeah, I I don't know Matt. I don't have a relationship with Matt. Um, I admire some important things about Matt Chandler. He did the foreword for the book I wrote, Am I Called? But that was because of a mutual friend uh, appealing to him. Uh, but I, for me, this is, this is more about wanting to approach this the way I would want it approached if I were in Matt's position or right. if I were an elder of the church or if I were a member of the church, because there's a lot of discussion going on that isn't taking into account the fact that the, that the primary audience of this communique is not first the masses, but it's a local church that has a pastor that's going through something. And so the design of the meeting and who shares at the meeting and, and when they share, all that is is designed to first help and shepherd a group of people moving forward. So I, I think that's really important to recognize. The only other thing, Bob, I was thinking is I, you know, I want us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Acts 29, who we do feel an affinity for. Acts 29 is a gospel-centered ministry. Uh, they're carrying the gospel around the world. Uh, we don't want that slowed. We don't want them to be distracted. I reached out to an A29 leader this week, and I just said, hey, brother, I, we're, we're praying for you, and, and I, hope, I hope many others are, are doing that as well. Well, let's take a minute here as we close, and would you pray for 
Matt, and for Village Church and for Acts 29? Sure. Lord, these situations require a wisdom that is beyond men and women. And yet we know that you are the all-wise one, and we know that you can be trusted even with the complexity, even with the pain and the hurt, even with all that we don't know. And so now, Lord, we, we turn to you and we ask you to pour out your grace upon Village Church. We ask you to pour out your grace upon the Chandlers, upon the, 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 the women that have been affected, the two women mentioned uh, on Sunday. Lord, we pray that you would give the elders wisdom to care for Matt, to challenge Matt, to prescribe a way forward that genuinely rehabilitates him. And Lord, we pray that for the rest of us, and, and well, let me pray for Acts 29 as well, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit in power upon them. Lord, let them in this next season preach with a greater fervor, with a greater passion for the supremacy of you. Lord, let your name be spread among the nations because of the faithfulness of the men and women that fill that ministry. And Lord, we pray that for the rest of us, those sitting on the periphery in the, um, in the mezzanine and just looking on, that, that you would give us patience that you would help us to be charitable okay. and that you would give us a heart of mercy, remembering that we have received much mercy. And as ones who have received much mercy, we want to pass it along. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me just mention that there are links to the books that Dave and I were talking about in today's episode available in our show notes. I mentioned Jerry Jenkins' book, which is called Hedges. There's a link to that book. And Dave mentioned a couple of books by Paul David Tripp, uh, Dangerous Calling, and then the book Lead. And again, we've got links to all of these books in our show notes, along with other information. If you want to see the video clip of Matt's announcement to the church, if you've not already seen that, there's a link to that video clip in our show notes as well. And we'll try to keep you up to date with things we talk about in the show notes. And of course, there's a link to our website, gccollective.org, if you want to find out more about the Great Commission Collective and the work that we're doing to plant churches and strengthen leaders. If your church is not currently part of a collective like GCC, working with other church planting churches, to try to expand the gospel, you might just check out the website and see if the goals and values and distinctives of GCC align with what God has called you to in church planting ministry. Maybe this is a family for you. Maybe this is a place where your church can connect and where we can be aligned together in working to advance the cause of Christ. So again, check out the GC Collective website, gccollective.org. We've got an online learning center. There's a lot more available to you online. Again, just check all of that out at gccollective.org. Now, on our second episode, which releases in two weeks, Dave Harvey's going to be with us again. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about pastors' marriages. Our goal is to talk about how we can have the kind of alertness and awareness do the kind of hard work we need to be doing in our marriages so that our marriages are strong. Because if your marriages aren't strong, your ministry is not going to thrive. And if your ministry is thriving and your marriage is not strong, 
there are problems ahead for you. So we'll talk about that in our next episode. Again, Dave Harvey will join us. He's written extensively on this subject. We'll talk about a new book that I've written that deals with marriage. That all comes up next time. I hope you'll join us for the next episode of The Bounce Podcast.